Let's say that you have a behavioral sin issue in your life and it is weighing you down and you want to get rid of it. You want victory over this problem in your life. There is a way of thinking about that. I want to bring my friend out here, Biff. He has a, a sin issue in his life and it is weighing him down, but he doesn't know how to diagnose himself. And so I want to use him as an illustration and I hope that as we understand what is going on in Biff's life, that it can be somewhat of a template for us to understand how to diagnose our own problems. The problems happen in two levels, or on two levels. That which is going on, that which we can see, that, that is that which is happening in real time and space. And then, of course, the ruling motive of the heart, what is going on underneath the surface, and it is imperative that we understand this, this two-layered problem. What is happening on the external side of our lives is the secondary issue. What is going on in our hearts is the primary issue. So I've titled this podcast, When the Weight of Your Sin Weighs You Down. I was teaching in a conference in Houston, Texas recently, and that was the question that was asked me. And so if that person is listening, I want to give you a more thorough response now to your question. When the weight of your sin weighs you down, you must make sure that you understand which sin you have in view, that which is behavioral, that which is on the surface, or the ruling motive of the heart. When I talk about the ruling motive of the heart, I'm talking about the more the most significant problem. Now, both of them are problems. What is happening inside of me and what is going on behaviorally in my life. But typically, people struggle more with what they can see, the behavioral problem, and they don't discern the hidden motives of the heart, and it blinds them to the primary issue, the culprit. And this result causes them to be blind to their blindness. That's a bad spot to be. And so I want to give you a case study here. I want to diagnose my friend Biff, who has an external problem that you will be able to relate to, but I want to get underneath it and and give you appropriate and significant analysis so that you can think rightly about what is truly going on inside of Biff. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and you are listening to Your Daily Drive. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. If you want to talk to me, go into our Sanctification Center. Where is it? It's in cyberspace. All roads lead to our Sanctification Center, all roads of the internet. And so you can go to rickthomas.net and you will be there. Get your username, get your password. It is free to you, provided by those who support our ministry, and ask your question. Be sure to flatten it out if you wish. You can change your name to maintain anonymity if you wish, and that is fine with us. And so flatten it out. Don't use names, persons, places, or things, and, and you'll be fine. And give us the general idea of what you are asking about, and we would love to serve you. If you want to read this podcast, please Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for this title, When the Weight of Your Sin 
weighs you down. David, thank you so much. You know who you are for your kind gift to our ministry. Thank you for your encouraging letter. Note that you wrote to me of how the podcast and the articles are a blessing to you, and I'm so thankful, and thank you for your generosity. Again, if you want to read this, when the weight of your sin weighs you down, let's bring Biff up here. Biff talks on and on about his sin. And when I say that, I am not saying that he's bragging about what he is doing wrong. He is not bragging. In fact, he is going all the way to the other end of the spectrum. When Biff talks about his transgressions, he is self-loathing. He hates himself. He hates his sin. He is ashamed of what he did to his wife. Biff told me that he would do anything to change his past. An example of his self-absorbed reflections is, is how on his commute to work, the, heinous, the heinousness, <laughs> sometimes I have, a, I have a speech impediment, I have a speech issue, and sometimes my math just doesn't form correctly. Heinousness, there you go, heinousness. The heinousness of his actions flood his mind. His embarrassment and shame levels are off the charts. He even said that he thought about killing himself as a way to be free from what he did. It was only a passing thought. He had no real desire to pursue it, though it was a mental moment nonetheless, as he shared with me about suicide. When I was talking to Biff, I, I let him know that he's really punishing the wrong guy. His self-loathing, his self-absorbed introspection. The problem with Biff, though there are many, is that he's not punishing the correct person. Somewhere in his Christian upbringing and theological training in seminary, he missed the gospel entirely. Though he knows that Christ died for his sins, he does not practically apply that truth to his life. Christ took on his punishment. Christ is the right guy. Biff is punishing himself for his sins when Christ has already taken on the punishment. When the real rubber hits his road, something is amiss. The gospel does not transform his heart, his thinking, or his experience. Let me say it plainly here. Christ took on Biff's punishment, which was the whole point of his coming, to take away the sins of the world. I told the group in, in Houston that one of my favorite verses in the Bible that, com that communicates the complexity of the, uh, of the gospel is Luke 19.10. The point is, in Luke 19.10, all of the words there are monosyllabic words. Christ used monosyllabic words to c communicate the complexity of the gospel. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. How profound. Monosyllabic words communicating the complexity, the profundity, the power of the gospel. And if you placed a theological exam before Biff and ask him some of these basic cross-centered questions that any Christian would be able to answer, he would ace the exam. He understands the gospel, especially in a salvific way. Ask him. He will say, 
Christ died for my sins. It's one of the more effective ways to remember the gospel. You can hold up your hand and and use your five fingers to say these five words when you're sharing with somebody, Christ died for my sins. But when it comes to his practical, functional, everyday life, he is a cross-centered failure. He punishes the wrong guy. Why is this? This problem is what I wanted to explore with my friend. Why can't he live daily in the goodness and in the freedom that the gospel holds out to all of us? The gospel loudly proclaims that there is no more condemnation. Sadly, this is not true for Biff. He heaps condemnation on himself by the minute. Listen to this passage of Scripture, Romans 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Notice how Paul answers, or Paul's answers to these Christians in Rome is always rooted in the gospel. He says the gospel, Christ, is for us. Therefore, no one can be against us. He says the gospel, Christ, died for us. Therefore, we shall receive all good things for him. Paul says the gospel, Christ, justifies us. Therefore, no charge can be brought against us. Paul says the gospel, Christ, died, was raised, and intercedes. Therefore, no one can condemn If Biff understood the gospel functionally, he would be free from the daily condemnation of his past sins. Let's diagnose Biff. Let's bring him uh, into the x-ray room and let's look at a sanctification x-ray of my self-loathing friend who can ace a theological exam but yet fail it functionally. Here's a few data points that will help you to understand what is going on in Bill's life. Number one, he has a high view of himself. He has a high view of himself. If you listen to Bill carefully, and if you ask him specific questions, you'll pick up on a pattern in his thinking. For example, there are certain people that he does not like. Yeah. Biff is a modern-day bigot. You see, God has blessed him in specific ways. But rather than giving glory to God and humbly receiving God's blessing, Biff has forgotten what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, quote, For who sees anything different in you? For what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? One of Biff's gifts from God that he received from God is a higher than average IQ. Yeah, Biff's, he's a smart guy. 
God has given him a brain that works differently than most of us, like me, mine. He's smart. I'm not. But rather than praising God for this gift, he's condescending. He's arrogant. He's entitled. entitled. Biff, this is how it. This is how it's said. Biff doesn't like dumb people, as he calls them. That's his words, not mine. Though it would be rare for him to say that out loud, he has slipped up a time or two and let his guard down. Biff did not say he did not like dumb people, but he talked about how he felt being around people who were not as smart as he was. He also talked about when he was a kid, how he was not as athletic as some of his friends. He felt inferior to them. That's a key word. It was during that time when he learned that he was smart, and he began using his God-given intelligence as a manipulative weapon to elevate himself above others. He could not out-hit or outrun his friends, but he could outsmart them. You see why he looks down on what he calls dumb people? Unfortunately, his parents never discerned this darkness in his heart. They were lousy parents, and in some ways, Biff was left to fend for himself. From his ungodly perspective as a child, it made sense to weaponize his intellect and stand up for himself. And so the first issue with Biff, why he hates himself, why he's so self-loathing, is because he has a high view of himself. The second data point in his sanctification x-ray, he became arrogant. His craving to feel good about himself or to feel better than others through his intellect, intellectual prowess led him into the world of academia. While other kids did the same thing that Biff did, but through sports, Biff's self-worship took on an intellectual route. His hidden idolatry led him to a 100K uh, school debt as has been said too often, quote, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Biff's craving to feel superior led him headlong into a trap. This desire to feed his idol of intellect has also left a trail of broken relationships in his life. In addition to looking down on, quote, dumb people, as he calls them, he also looks down on other people groups. Finally, as I began to tease this out of him, he became honest. He said he did not like, and I quote, fat people, poor people, black people, weak men. His search for significance led him to many people groups with whom he could feel superior once he found what he deemed as inferior people, he proceeded to feel smug about his superiority, the gift that he has, the gift that God gave him. He would even reach out to some of these people groups, you know, like a king letting the lowly person kiss his ring. Biff's caught in a habitual sin. He is ashamed of it. He is embarrassed about it. As I said, he talks about his sin all the time, but not in a boasting way. 
He, but he talks about it in a self-loathing way, and now we're starting to find out. One, he has a high view of himself, and we know how it happened. An insecure kid who, who found a gift, which is his intellect, and he uses his intellect to feel better about himself. Thus, he looks down on others. The second data point, he became arrogant. The third data point is when the king loses his crown You can imagine the humiliation of the king when his wife found out about his habituated porn addiction that had been going on for more than two decades. The king was now living among the commoners. This kind of exposure was devastating to Biff. See the self-loathing? His secret sin is also why he could not extricate himself from his transgression and the accompanying condemnation. When you're the king of the world, as Biff was... at least in his mind, it is hard to accept the reality that you're just like everyone else. The word Adam means man of the earth. Adam was kicked up from the dust of the earth, and God breathed into him the breath of life, and man became animated. You and I are highly sophisticated dirt clods that God is mercifully allowing to live, breathe, and express ourselves on his earth. It is when we forget this that we are in trouble. Biff forgot that he is not somebody but a nobody. One of my favorite poems along this line is from Emily Dickinson. She said this in her poem. You probably have heard it. I'm nobody. Who are you? Are you nobody too? Then there's a pair of us. Don't tell. They'd banish us, you know. How dreary to be somebody. How public, like a frog. To tell your name the live long day to an admiring bog. There is so much irony there. If you want to read this poem, it's it's inside this article here titled, When the Weight of Your Sin Weighs You Down. I would encourage you to read it and ponder it. You see, Biff ran off the theological tracks way back in his childhood, assuming he was ever on theological tracks. And he began to think that he was somebody as he sought and fought for superiority through the gifts that God gave him. Biff is just like the rest of us. He's a nobody apart from the grace of God in his life. When his sin was found out, he was devastated. You see, the higher up you are, or Maybe it would be better stated theologically. The higher up you think you are or wish you were, the harder the fall when exposed. Biff had been striving all his life to be somebody, and now he is having a difficult time accepting the fact that he is a sinner like the rest of us. The king has lost his crown. He is a commoner. He is a gospel-centered, dysfunctional being. What he needs to understand is gospel-motivated sanctification. In addition to Biff's bigoted arrogance, he also has a skewed view of the gospel. He is fully aware that the gospel is capable of saving a person, but he has not heard clearly how the gospel is also the essential need for his sanctification. 
He saw the gospel as the ticket to get into heaven, and rightly so, it does. But after his entrance into the kingdom, he leaned into his strengths and his attributes as his primary source to stay right with God. And with that kind of twisted theology functioning at the core of his heart, it made sense that when he sinned hard and repeatedly, that he would be devastated. If my sanctification is mostly dependent on me and I fall, my strength, self-reliance, which is what Biff is leaning into, and my weakness, my sin, they negate each other. Your strength of holding it all together and your weakness, they collide and they negate. In such a case, I have no other choice. I am struck with the weight of my sin. And thus Biff, the self-reliant man who was leaning into his intellect to feel good about himself, rather than resting in the gospel, his sin was negating his self-reliance. Thus he was feeling the weight of his sin, and it was weighing him down. When I initially brought this up to him, he denied it, of course. And did what any rational thinking Christian would do. He quoted Ephesians 2, 8, 9. No, for by grace you are saved. It's not of works. While I had no doubts that he understood Paul's text to the Ephesians, the truth about his practical theology was that he did not practice what he knew in his head. In essence, he was functioning as an unbelieving believer. That is why he could not shake himself from his sin he would not freely accept Christ's forgiveness. He was punishing himself rather than receiving the punishment that Christ took on his behalf. It is tough for a self-sufficient, self-reliant, bigoted man who has carved out his own life, his way to accept a handout from Jesus, even if the handout is from God himself through the death of his son on the cross. You see, insecurity breeds self-condemnation. Now, thus far, we have covered Biff's high view of himself and his lack of understanding the gospel as it pertains to his daily sanctification. But the last culprit that feeds into his self-condemning and self-loathing is his insecurity. Biff is an insecure man. When you put his sanctification x-ray up on the wall, you will not only see his high view of himself. You will not only see his arrogance. You'll not only see that he is an unbelieving believer, but you will see that he is an insecure person. Quite frankly, Biff wants to be more to others than what he is capable of being. And he wants his reputation to be more than what it is. As a kid, he built up his bigness by flaunting his intelligence. Though he could not succeed on the athletic field, he did find respite in academia. This strength, strength put him on the track of self-reliance. Just like his athletic buddies, this self-reliant methodology fed right into his Christian experience. Because he was smart, it was easy for him to excel in Christian circles, and he did. He was well on his way to becoming somebody. But if you look closely and carefully underneath his facade, you will see a wee little man 
motivated by fear. He built his entire kingdom on the false foundation of self-reliance, which is always driven by fear. But God God, in his extravagant mercy to Biff, allowed him to go so far, and then he said, no more. The devices of his own making caught Biff, and his world fell apart. God allowed him to run himself into a corner, and when Biff was finally in that place, he could not extricate himself. Rather than trusting God and falling upon the gospel, he went into self-loathing But God is the one who is operating in Biff's sin. Biff needs to understand this. He needs to be blessed by this truth. If you're going to sin, you need to know that God is there working, devising, planning, rescuing. He will not leave you even in your sin. Only God can use sin sinlessly, as the cross implies. As he is working deep in Bill's sinful heart, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The sad truth is that Biff is not all that worried about his sin. Let me restate that. He is worried about his sinfulness, but mainly from the perspective of how it makes him look to his wife, to his kids, to his family, and to his friends. You see, when somebody is worried or concerned about their sin, you need to ask the question, what does that worry state about them? Biff is exhibiting a false humility by talking about his sin, and it has all the sounds and smells of Christianity. But the clue is that he's not living in the freedom and the power that God holds out through the gospel. And while the gospel leads to freedom and forgiveness, self-focused insecurity leads to a fixation on condemnation. Biff is worried about his sin, but only because of how it makes him look. Biff is not concerned about his sin from a biblical perspective, not as concerned as he should be. If he were, he would be talking about God and his grace and his mercy. But Biff communicates more about what he did and how embarrassed he is and how the weight of it all is pressing down on him. Those are clues that want to motivate you to look under the hood of his life to see what is really going on, to give expert diagnosis, as I have been communicating to you uh, through this podcast. And that is the big clue to his functional understanding and application of the gospel. How a person talks about their sin will tell you where they are with God. It will either be... Uh, Their communication will be about them, their embarrassment, and all of these types of things. Or it will be about, as David said in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I done this this evil, done this sin. Biff is sin-centered rather than cross-centered. He is stuck. The self-reliant man who cannot extricate himself from his sin will soon become buried by his sin. What he is perturbed about is losing all that he has accomplished. 
He is afraid of becoming the very thing he despises, a loser. And now we have circled back around. He felt like a loser uh, on the courts or on the playing field when he was a kid. He found his strength, which was his intellect. He built his kingdom because he was running from being a loser. And now that he is caught in a habituated sin pattern, he is afraid of becoming the very thing he despises, a loser. What he will have to come to terms with, which the gospel teaches us, is that we're all losers. Christ did not come for winners. What Biff believes to be a loss will be his most significant gain If he will be dead honest with himself and come clean about the heinousness of his heart and allow the right people to speak into his life, he will be free from his sin. I'm not talking so much about porn. Of course, that's the behavioral problem that is on the surface of his life, but that's not the primary problem. He must be free from that. No question about that. But I'm talking about the greater sins of the heart that have led to porn. Those sins under the hood of Biff's life are mainly, primarily unbelief, but also fear, self-reliance, arrogance, control, boastfulness, and selfish ambition. Through the gospel, he can experience a freedom and a power that his self-efforts could never attain. If you want, if you want to read this podcast, Slowly, more slowly, you can go to our website, rickthomas.net, when the weight of your sin weighs you down. And you can uh, read it carefully. You can also look at the attached articles that are here that will help you as well. And then perhaps you want to get on our uh, website and you want to get on our forums and ask us questions about it. And if you do, I would encourage you to do that. It's a free service that we provide. We want to engage you. And so come and talk to us and let us serve you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.